once again to America's Constitution with Professor Akil Reed Amar. Professor Amar is Sterling Professor of Law at Yale University. You know, we aren't spending a lot of time on these podcasts introducing each other, so I'll just throw a couple of tidbits out there today. Professor Amar has been cited more often by the Supreme Court more than 40 times now than any other active scholar of the Constitution, including several times this past year. And another very important piece of information, he has a new book coming out called The Words That Made Us, America's Constitutional Conversation, 1760 to 1840, which will be out this May. And we'll be discussing that book and giving you some previews in subsequent podcasts. Today, we're pleased to bring you along with our new musical theme composed for us by the great David Fenster, our third episode, Bullets Not Dodged, Part 3, Shocked, shocked. Hello, Akil. Thanks, Andy. So uh, when talking about bullets dodged, I um, began autobiographically sharing with the audience um, something that I've told you um, on an earlier occasion that, uh, that uh, in retrospect, as I, as I think about uh, you know, why I have the academic obsessions that I do and the interests that I do, I, I do realize I've been very much affected by, scarred by, shaped by uh, an experience with um, bullets, with um, presidential um, and, uh, and near-presidential assassination. So when I was young, I, uh, my first uh, television memory is John Kennedy's assassination when I was in kindergarten, and then Bobby Kennedy um, in uh, 1968. I grew up in California. Um, a little bit later... In my California experience, uh, George Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco, was killed um, uh, by a man named uh, Dan White, um, who also killed Harvey Milk, and that uh, connected. That was all connected with the, the rise of of Dianne Feinstein, uh, then a, a local politician, later to become the senator of California. Um, when I'm growing up, I actually probably knew every single thing there was to know about the Lincoln assassination. And now I realize, oh, that's because I was traumatized by what happened to the Kennedys. Um, so I'm being autobiographical here and saying, why am I so worried always about what could go wrong? Because I've seen things uh, in my life that have, have gone wrong. Uh, we were, in a way, lucky that... John Kennedy didn't, uh, was actually, as harsh as it is to, to say, um, that he was killed rather than utterly mentally deranged in a way that um, had, had the bullet gone, taken a different path, Lee Harvey Oswald's bullet, um, that might have um, uh, destroyed his mental capacity, but in a way that he might not have actually fully understood. And in a nuclear world, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, actually, that's, that's, there's a story about Woodrow Wilson that is well known that he was quite ill in his second term. Uh, some people believe that he actually contracted the Spanish flu, the pandemic of, uh, of the late uh, 19-teens, uh, while at the, uh, Versailles, at the Paris conference uh, that resulted in the Treaty of Versailles, and that he really w was uh, mentally impaired permanently from that. Um, I heard a, a lecture recently at uh, Rutgers about that, um, given by an expert on the First World War. And uh, that, um, yes, you know, we know that he later had a stroke and so forth, but even before that, that he may have well been impaired. And, of course, it's known that his wife tried to cover for him, and this is related to some of the 
uh, some of the issues we talked about last time. And we're going to talk more about 25th Amendment um, in some of our, our, our future um, uh, uh, podcasts. So um, uh, there's that. Um, now he, I'll share you with you uh, another um, um, autobiographical um, moment. Um, I, um, when I was a young person, didn't uh, understand actually, the nature of the presidency. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I think the biggest bullet that we did not dodge is that we Americans picked the wrong person four years ago. And I thought that four years ago, and I think it even more today, and I'm going to say, in effect, oh, I told you so, because uh, this was um, what we're seeing um, at the end of the presidency is utterly predictable. It's the same thing that we saw at the beginning of the presidency and even before the presidency. And here's the big point that I didn't understand as a young man. The presidency is a person. Uh, um, there's one president, 24-7, 365, uh, and you're not voting for a platform. Um, you're not voting for policies. You're voting for a person. And um, I've come to understand, uh, as I studied more history and become, especially the history of presidencies and presidents, um, when you pick someone, you often, you the voter, don't know what the next four years will hold. It'll be actually what you can't expect. Um, 9-11, um, a, a, a mass recession, 2008, uh, a worldwide, you know, once-in-a-century pandemic, um, um, some event halfway across the world that, that affects the life of every American. So... Um, what actually do you, uh, if you understand that and if you study our presidents and who were the good ones and who were the less good ones, um, what lessons can you, can you draw? Americans, in my view, know far more about baseball and football, the rules of the game. Our first couple of podcasts have been some of the interesting little rules and wrinkles of, of the game. And by game, I don't mean to trivialize. I just mean to say, like, the structure. What, you know, what, what happens in this scenario and that one? Um, uh, do you play the infield, the inner back? Um, you know, what, 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 what about the infield fly rule? And, uh, and uh, how does a suicide squeeze work? Or, you know, uh, how do you freeze the linebacker in a play-action pass or something? So we understand, actually, sports way better than we understand our constitutional system. And when I'm driving up to Boston and listening to talk radio, all the time they're talking about, well, what the Red Sox should do and what they should draft for next year or, you know, or how the Patriots need a better um, uh, 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 right tackle or, or, um, or flanker or, or wide receiver or something. And people understand what position, uh, you know, um, how they, you, they could talk about intelligently how Tom Brady compares to Manning or Elway or Joe Montana or Bart Starr or what have you. And yet, they actually can't tell you very much about who are the good presidents and less good and, and what we can learn from that because every four years, we're the, we're, we're the drafting committee. We Americans, we're I'm hiring for a position. And, and many of us are good business people. And uh, of course, if we were hiring for our firm, we'd know what position we were hiring for, what we're looking for, what, what the qualities are ideally that, um, uh, that will, would predict success for this position. Um, 
We pick up, and, and it matters so much less when you're pick, thinking about a House member, one of 435, Senator, one of 100, Presidency, there's um, one person, 24-7, 365, all sorts of things are going to come up that we can't predict. Oh, and here are a couple of other things. Most of our presidents actually have been failed presidents, in fact. It's a very, very difficult job to do, um, and most presidents have come in with great ambitions, and um, they haven't um, met them. So, um, so many things you have to be able to do right. You have to be the legislator-in-chief, the because of the, the, the veto pen, and, and you're defining a State of the Union agenda. Um, you have to be a communicator-in-chief with a bully pulpit. Uh, since you mentioned Woodrow Wilson, you're now in the modern era, supposed to be the leader of the free world. You have to be the head of your party, but also the head of the country. That's difficult because the party means that you have to appeal to people on one side of the aisle, but you're also supposed to be a unifying figure. You're both Boris Johnson and Queen Elizabeth at once, the head of the um, government and the, the, the head of state. Um, you have to um, uh, uh, pick justices and, and, and judges. Um, you have to be a diplomat in chief, you know, and and a commander-in-chief, and a spy-master-in-chief. Um, you have to deal with state governments. Uh, you have to deal with uh, emergencies and crises. Katrina comes along, and you have to somehow uh, negotiate that, or, or um, some um, oil spill in, in the middle of the, of the ocean. So many things you have to do. You have to manage federal properties. So many things to do. It's very difficult to have all those competences, and there's almost no good training for the position. You're a governor, great. You understand executive power, but you don't understand necessarily the world and, and all the countries in the world. You're a senator, maybe you understand a little bit more about foreign policy, but you're not making executive decisions. You're a cabinet officer, okay, you're seeing a little bit about what the presidency is. You're actually doing something operationally, but you're not elected. Um, and you're a general um, and you understand um, America's force structure and the rest of the world, but once again, you're not an elected person. You're first lady or first spouse, um, and you're getting a sense of the presidency up close, but it's not quite the same thing. You're the vice president, not bad um, experience, but not quite the same. You run for the presidency once or twice, maybe even before you get it, um, or even just once, and you win your first time, um, uh, which is usually the case. The successful Democrats tend to win their first time. Biden is unusual um, in this regard. Um, but, but Kennedy basically is the fresh face. He wins the first time. And Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Uh, and, but governing and, and, and being able to run a successful campaign relatively gaff-free is not a bad test of your ability to govern, especially in the modern era, um, which is very poll-driven and even day-to-day -day governance is not unconnected to your ability to campaign and sell your ideas. But still, governing is different uh, um, from, from campaigning. So there's no great training, perfect training for the presidency. And a lot of presidents don't want to train up a successor too much. They, they're a little nervous about that. Um, and it's a very difficult position. But here's what I didn't understand. So I said I was going to be autobiographical. I thought I should vote as a young man for just people whose policy views, um, whose platform was kind of closest to my preferred outcomes. And boy, was that the wrong way to think about the presidency, both because there are going to be issues that I don't even see as a voter that may arise over the next four or eight years, um, and second and more fundamentally, I'm picking a person, um, and 
Um, and when I look back at the successful presidents, you know, um, and try to figure out really what what explains which ones were the, the our best presidents and why most successful, a lot of what you're looking for are personal attributes. So uh, uh, issues of character, integrity, um, honesty, curiosity, vision, um, experience. Every single president before Donald Trump actually had um, significant history of of public service. Um, I'm, you should be looking at whether someone is actually able to attract an impressive group of subordinates um, in the campaign or in their their previous um, their pre-presidential career. Um, so, um, can you attract? Can you spot good people? Can you um, keep good people? Are you good at listening to uh, advisors from different um, points of view? The team of rivals idea, let's say, of, of a Lincoln when he brings into his cabinet a, a Seward, a Chase, um, a, 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 a Blair, um, a, um, a Stanton, a pretty impressive team. Um, uh, George Washington with Jefferson on his left and Hamilton on his right and Madison as his um, point person in uh, the uh, uh, Congress and, and very impressive judges that he puts on the court, uh, James Wilson and, and John Jay. So I, I learned a lot more about the presidency. It's not just the platform. So very concretely, I voted for Walter Mondale um, in 84. And I now look back and say, you know, um, his uh, running mate, Geraldine Ferraro, actually did not have the proper, actually, credentials to be present. She didn't actually have sufficient experience. And I wasn't focusing on the bottom of the ticket, as I should, because um, a very high percentage of vice presidents end up becoming president, and sometimes through um, uh, death, as, uh, as we've been talking about, with, with, for example, um, uh, John Kennedy or the attempted assassination of, of, of Ronald Reagan in, 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 in my lifetime. And um, uh, so I wasn't focusing on the fact that, that she really didn't have the chops, truthfully, to be president. And this is not a sexist thing I'm saying because I voted for Hillary Clinton and she was far more competent, in my view, than Trump. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we all saw and should, and I saw and, and the rest of us could easily have seen in 2016. That was the bullet that we didn't dodge. We picked the wrong person and it's why I haven't been able to exhale for four years. Um, and Condoleezza Rice is a very impressive person. I voted this time around, cards on the table, for Kamala Harris as vice president. So it's not a point about, um, about gender. Um, uh, but I, I was f too focused on the platform um, and who agreed with me politically rather than who really was competent to be president of the United States and not focused enough on the number two position as well as the number one position. Um, so... Um, I'm going to let you uh, uh, jump in, Andy, on this, but uh, then I'll begin to tell you actually where I think we went off the rails, which is with John McCain picking Sarah Palin, and then we can talk about Trump. So a couple thoughts about uh, issues of character and so forth that you mentioned. Um, first of all, I think we've all become aware over the last four years of how much effect the president's the president as an individual, as a person, can have on our, our emotional state, our, our, our comfort, our patriotism, our, our love of country, 
um, or feeling that we're part of something. Um, and, you know, I contrast that with many other presidents. So, for example, I think, you know, Barack Obama, not everyone, I, you know, I voted for him, I was a fan, but not everyone was, but he was widely respected uh, as, as a man of high character. Yes. And, uh, you know, to the, and remains so to this day. George W. Bush was not my preferred candidate, but <clears throat> I had respect for the way he uh, conquered his addiction and for the way that he conducted himself after, I mean, in the immediate period after 9-11, try to unify the country, um, that he, you know, his moral center, although, you know, again, policy-wise, I disagree with him in many ways, I remember that uh, we made a big deal about the first thing that we dropped on Afghanistan after 9-11 was food. But this was an example of, of what America stood for. And uh, I think that this gave, he was able to give comfort to America. Then again, he had his weak moments. And let me, and let me mention one other thing about George W. Bush, which is um, he picked, among other things, uh, John Roberts to be Chief Justice of the United States. And I think that was actually a pretty impressive choice. And I'm a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, Supreme Court appointments and other appointments as, as another example of, of a, you know, successful or failed president. But to some extent, that also gets, that can get to issues of policy, um, which I think, you know, maybe lends itself to a future subject, which is to what extent do justices on the Supreme Court uh, require, uh, reflect the question, questions of character mm -hmm. much as the presidency does. Yes. Perhaps the life tenure is a factor there or something. Um, but at any rate... And we'll talk about life tenure, I hope, in later podcasts, because as you know, I long ago floated an idea of 18-year term limits for justices, and it's possible that that idea is going to come back into the national conversation. Yeah, I think that's that's a fascinating topic. At any rate, so um, I, when you when you look at the president that way, um, I think it also begs an, or, or raises another question, which is um, how we as citizens evaluate the president. You mentioned, you know, that uh, that sometimes people you know ask questions of, of coherence and policy. Um, I think it actually reached uh, you know sort of a nadir. With the with the question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Which people were were asked, because that question uh, implies that the that your choice for president should be about what's better for you. Mm. So if you're asking the president to to look out for the whole country, you should be looking out for the whole country in your vote as well. <coughs> and um, so, for example, any particular crisis might not affect you, you know, individually, but the, the ability to react to a crisis, a certain selflessness, I think is important. And, and you said that there's not really any good training, but I would put, I would submit that perhaps parenting is an example of some of the training that one, you know, it's somewhat analogous to being president. Hard to be trained to be a parent. And yet some of the skills, uh, I think, are not, the, not all of them, but you ha the, uh, the fact that you have to deal with the unforeseen, no matter what it might be, um, that you have to have essentially the ability to have a universal set of skills and to look beyond yourself, it might be relevant to, to questions of, of the presidency. Well, that's very interesting. Of course, George Washington 
very famously becomes father of his country because he's not father of his own children and he can be trusted. He's not going to create a dynasty. Uh, he's not going to try to create a, a throne for the presidency because he has no one to, to give it to. He has no dynastic pretensions. And he actually mentions that in an, uh, the first draft of his first inaugural. He cuts it out. He thinks it's a little too personal. He's, he's a very um, uh, disciplined and... and, um, and uh, not altogether gregarious person. And so I think he decided that, that was sharing a little too much about himself. But, but he becomes father of his country because he doesn't have any actually biological children of his own. I do think my, my two favorite presidents, uh, and this is not idiosyncratic, are, are Washington and, and, and Lincoln. I, uh, Lincoln was, I think, a very great parent. I, th- I think he, he had a very complicated relationship to his own father, who um, I think did not treat him particularly well, and many of our presidents had hard childhoods. Um, many of them were orphans or adopted, or their, their, um, um, their one parent died uh, very young, uh, complicated relationships sometimes, so what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger. Perhaps they had to be very strong at a very young age. Lincoln had, I think, a very um, a, a fraught relationship with his own um, father, Thomas Lincoln, um, but my sense is, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about Lincoln, you and I both adore Lincoln, that he, he was such a loving parent. Um, and and, uh, and so, so our two greatest um, a presence, one a parent, um, one not really quite. Um, uh, so, <clears throat> but let me just segue to, I'll say one other thing, uh, and then um, talk about uh, 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 McCain and, and Palin. Since, since you, you said it's also, it's not just about yourself. And anyone who wants to um, run for president um, has a massive ego. You can't actually, you know, be, it's very hard to be a successful president unless you believe you can be a successful president. And very few people actually um, have the ego to think they, could, they can do it. Um, because there's so many things to do. And I, I, I catalog just some of the, the many competences you have to have. And, and the kind of person that r- runs for president is a person who's not going to easily want to give it up. So, and you, we, we see that at the end of the Trump administration. It's, it's connected to the, the kind of ego and personality that would drive someone to seek the office in the first place. But, but you also have to really believe to be a great president it's not just about you. There's something much greater that you have a fiduciary obligation to America, to the system, to law, to our constitution, um, to history, um, to the world. And uh, let's take Jack Kennedy because many Americans <clears throat> rate Kennedy very highly. Mm-hmm. By accomplishments, actually, he didn't do that many things. He, he had even less, he last, less than a full term he was not master of the Senate. He actually um, didn't have Lyndon Johnson's ability to to get his legislative agenda through. Um, he was not great, truthfully, on civil rights in his own era. Lyndon Johnson uh, uh, accomplished all sorts of things in the name of Jack Kennedy, but Kennedy himself didn't get civil rights legislation of a major sort through or voting rights legislation. So many things that he um, did not do. So why is he reckoned so great? Well, one is we remember him uh, for what he might have done. He, 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 there was so much promise 
Um, dying well actually turns out to be important for one's legacy. Lincoln dies as well as it's possible to die. He's martyred on Good Friday in a Christian nation after having just won the war. Um, uh, you know, so he's a kind of a military martyr as well as an almost a, a religious martyr. But um, and uh, uh, and there are these eerie connection uh, p- parallels between the Kennedy assassination and the Lincoln assassination. But here's the other thing about Kennedy. So so part of it is a lot of promise, his charisma, but he did set a tone for the nation. And you were talking about that. He he made Americans feel that it was something greater than. Um, me as an individual. It's about us. Um, it's about service and sacrifice. And he did have a history of profound sacrifice for his country. His, his, his brother Joe died, and Joe Jr. in uh, uh, World War II. He himself, of course, um, was badly I- injured in the PT 109 incident of uh, serving uh, America. But very famously, he summons us to ask not, you know, what our country can do for us, you know, ask what you can do for your country. Um, he um, challenges us to um, uh, to create a p- peace corps that will um, uh, um, do f- uh, th- the good things for the world. And he puts his brother-in-law, Sergeant Shriver, in charge of that and summons up a, 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 an idea of, of service to others. That, um, he, he challenges us to go to the moon, um, which is... Um, uh, a competition with the Soviet Union, to be sure, but not quite uh, just a pure military competition for who can um, make uh, bigger bombs um, uh, with um, um, more accurate missiles. So, so he did, I think, give Americans a sense of being connected to each other in a common project. It wasn't just about what's good for me as an individual, but... Um, what 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 we can all do together. So so he very famously says, um, and this is not just America. He says, and so my fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America can do for you, but what together we can do to assure um, the, the survival you know, of of liberty for for humankind, basically. Um, um, and and so you're right, a president has to be an inspirer-in-chief, a, a communicator-in-chief, um, and summon up um, a, a, a vision and an agenda. And I think um, Kennedy was particularly good at that. Now, I'm going to talk about McCain in a minute, who is a model of military sacrifice in the John Kennedy tradition, but... Um, whom I will and whom I admired in many many ways, but whom I'll criticize in just a minute um, for the, he didn't win the presidency. The only presidential decision he really made, uh, which is his selection of his running mate. And also, let's not forget Kennedy saved the world in the Cuban Missile Crisis. After imperiling the world in the Cuban Missile Crisis, a yes, critic well, would say. Yes, perhaps so, but uh, <laughs> but I think that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I, I agree with that. Um, actually, I, there's a, a new book out which I would recommend called uh, Gambling with Armageddon uh, by uh, the great Marty Sherwin, uh, which is a, a you know, very, very detailed uh, review of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm proud to say my, my daughter worked on that book. Um, uh, but at, at any rate, um, but even, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think, is an example of 
I mean, it's a crisis, you know, of, of doing something that you couldn't possibly be trained to do. Um, and, you know, during the crisis, Kennedy really went against the advice of his generals and so forth, um, not in an arrogant way, as, you know, boasting that, that he, you know, was smarter, smarter than, than everyone that, else. Knew, knew more about, yeah, yes, and so forth. But um, he owned the role of commander-in-chief the way that you should own it, which is you listen to it, the best advice, and then you use your judgment. So right. one of the things that a president has to do, a good president, is be a listener-in-chief. And George Washington was brilliant at listening to people. And again, he had... Um, uh, um, he, he brought in geniuses, amazing people, people who you know, in, in, in many respects are far more intellectually impressive than was he, Thomas Jefferson, uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison. And, but he consistently outperformed even them. He listened to every side, and, and his judgment, net-net, was better than any one of those three. So when Hamilton was basically more right Jeff, um, Washington went with Hamilton when Jefferson was more right. Washington went with Jefferson, and so too with Madison, and in part because he's an amazing listener, so he was able to spot talent and get them and get people to tell him things, uh, and and then um, and and hear what people are actually saying. Thomas Jefferson wore ideological blinders; he didn't want to hear certain things, and and maybe that was and that was true for for for, for Madison um, as well. So let me since I mentioned Washington now, give you a different way of thinking about the presidency. Um, whether we are aware of it or not, there's a national narrative, um, and, um, and we are um, like the casting uh, director for a play where we're actually sort of looking for a certain kind of actor to play a certain role and, and we actually subliminally sh have or should have in our minds um, what we're looking for. Um, maybe, you know, the way, you know, uh, some young men might be looking if they're, if they're going to marry a woman, a, a woman who in some ways reminds them of the, what's best about their mother or, or a woman looking for um, a husband. Uh, I know this is heterosexist and, and my examples, but uh, looking for a husband who maybe in certain respects is like her own father, if, if she had a good relationship with her father. So um, Americans are looking for a Washington and a Lincoln. We've actually had six terms of George Washington, when you think about it. The, uh, two of George Washington himself, a third and fourth called Ulysses S. Grant, you know, a, a general above party about sacrifice and bring us all together. Um, um, and then two more terms called Dwight Eisenhower. And that's the, that's the same model of, a, of, uh, of uh, a certain kind of general above political party, um, duty, sacrifice. And John McCain comes along, he says, oh, I'm George Washington. Now, in fact, he's not quite, but, but you see um, duty, um, honor, sacrifice to, to the country, um, and, and, and John McCain says that. Oh, and Barack Obama comes along and says, oh, well, I'm Abe Lincoln. I'm a tall, skinny constitutional lawyer from Illinois, and I'm a racial unifier, and I can give a very good speech, um, and, and, I'm, uh, and, and bring us all, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I have a passion uh, for, for, for justice and a, and, and a way with words. Um, and um, so John McCain versus Barack Obama. Washington 
versus Lincoln in, in a way. And, and we might not even be fully aware of that, but just subliminally, you know, if, if you're actually um, uh, drafting um, uh, for a quarterback or something, you might be thinking, oh, I want, you know, an Elway quarterback or a Fran Tarkin. No, I want a scrambler. I want a pocket passer. You know, I want someone who has Tom Brady's ability or Joe Montana's ability to, to read a defense or something. So, But you would know who the good quarterbacks are, what kind of team you have, who would fit particularly in that team. And here's a claim. This is one of the reasons I'm an originalist of a certain sort. Yeah, uh, presence, I mean, America was very different 250 years ago, but the presidency, actually, some of the things that were true 250 years ago are still true today about what we're looking for in a president, you know, similar job description in certain ways. He's the vetoer-in-chief and the commander-in-chief in and, um, and the diplomat-in-chief, and, um, uh, and, and those things remain true of the president. They're not all tr always true, for example, of a, of a prime minister. That's a different job description than a presidency, different relationship to the legislature. Um, so um, now my claim is actually Barack Obama has some certain similarities to, to, to Lincoln in his constitutional vision and his competences. Um, uh, John McCain actually was not like George Washington because George Washington was commander-in-chief, had a vision of the um, um, system as a whole, hated having to send people into harm's way because so many people um, died on his watch. He, he sent them to... He was chastened um, by um, all the death all around him. Oh, and, and, and a good president learns from early mistakes. George Washington made a bunch of them. As a young man, he basically started the First World War. Um, since you mentioned Bay of Pigs, Jack Kennedy learned in part, I mean, since you mentioned Cuban Missile Crisis, Jack Kennedy learned from the Bay of Pigs, um, and that you couldn't always trust the military advisors and all the rest, so good presidents learn from their own mistakes, great presidents learn from other presidents' mistakes, from other people's mistakes, but an ability to learn from one's mistakes is actually a really good attribute, and, and I want actually a president who's made some mistakes perhaps early in, in life, and, and what have you learned from them since you... Uh, Recognizes them. Um, so, and has that emotional in, intelligence and aptitude, but, but John McCain was not a general, you see, in the tradition of, of Eisenhower and Grant and Washington. He was a pilot who didn't necessarily have um, grand strategic vision, he had to, a pilot has to zig and zag and live by his instincts, and if he doesn't zig or zag at just the right moment, he might be dead. Um, and John McCain was too mercurial, too um, uh, 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 much just kind of um, risk-taking and going with his instincts. Um, in my view, he's not actually uh, George Washington um, so much as he's Tom Cruise in Top Gun, who is... Um, uh, um, a, a very good-looking, um, uh, dashing pilot who who gets the the girl, the good-looking girl, uh, uh, the uh, the uh, Kelly McGinnis in the in the in the movie. And his and nickname is Maverick. Ma Maverick, exactly so. You know, and that's John McCain. He's famous for being a Maverick. But th that, sh but he didn't have Washington's steadiness, and you see that most dramatically. He had, he had one decision to make. Pick his running mate. George Washington didn't pick John Adams. John Adams just came in second in the Electoral College back uh, then. George Washington picked and Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. 
um, and chose to work with with James Madison. So so uh, and 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 John Jay as Chief Justice and and James Wilson as Associate Justice. So George Washington picked people well. Not so with John McCain. He picked Sarah Palin, who I think actually was incompetent to be president of the United States, to not, uh, um, both in terms of her background and expertise, but also in terms of her character, which was all about dividing America, a sense of uh, a grievance and an aggrievement. She's, she was a proto-Trump in, in, in various ways. And as you and I are talking today, she was uh, tweeting absolute nonsense about the riot that took place on Capitol Hill yesterday, trying to blame um, um, Antifa plants or something like that with no evidence whatsoever, just, you know, all id and, and um, all um, affect and, and emotion and attitude. Um, unable, you know, you remember when she re um, resigned uh, from the governorship of Alaska and this kind of, no, no script, just kind of this mm -hmm. free association, ranting like, well, that's Donald Trump. Yeah, the word salad. Yes. So and the anti-intellectual bent and the, you know, as you said, a divider, the accusation towards coastal elites and, and uh, you know, just the phrase of the day, the death panels, you know, which undermined uh, healthcare reform. Not a serious policy, um, a wonk in any way. And John McCain, is responsible for foisting uh, Sarah Palin on the American body politic. And, and the, with the benefit of hindsight, you, I think, see the seeds of Trumpism in Sarah Palin. Not in McCain himself, but in Sarah Palin. And she was not fit to be president of the United States because she did not have, as it were, um, the resume, the, the, the actual credentials of actual experience doing the sorts of things that a president of the United States needs to be able to do. She didn't know the world, for example, at all. It's interesting because in many ways I think the American people um, have lost their way on issues like this because um, in 2008 I was uh, privileged to spend some time in Ohio helping uh, the Obama campaign. My son was a field organizer there and I came to uh, help out uh, for about a week before the election, get out the vote and so forth. And this is a very conservative area of, of Ohio um, where the Grand Vizier of the Ku Klux Klan lived and so forth. Um, and, but when I went from house to house, I could see that people were, they loved John McCain. Yes, but they and, were and, so, and, and he, was a, he was a very great American. Yeah, he was he's admirable. I have great respect for him. But you're right. As do I. Sarah Palin, you know, all you do is say her name and the eyes went up to the ceiling uh, and, you know, the people realize, recognize that this was not appropriate for America, that this was bad judgment. And, but when we got, you know, a later example of her and worse. Much worse, and here's why, because Sarah Palin in her life and in her family at least had, a, I think, a strong commitment of service to uh, America, a military um, a, a service, and and Donald Trump, in my view, has never been about anything other than Donald Trump. Sarah Palin actually has a more authentic patriotism in her family story. Fair enough, but at any rate, you know the visceral reaction of the American people at Katie Couric interview and so forth was was revulsion, frankly, um, and but we lost that somehow. So. Um, uh, I want to talk today, I know we're getting close to the end, about people 
now at the end of the Trump administration saying, oh, um, uh, who knew that he would do stuff like this? So um, Mick Mulvaney, um, who was his chief of staff, um, here's what Mick Mulvaney has said in the last 24 uh, um, uh, uh, hours. He said, quote, we didn't sign up for what you saw last night. We signed up for making America great again. We signed up for lower taxes and less regulation. The president has a long list of successes that we can be proud of. And I want to say a couple of things. One is, um, this is the sa- some of this is the same mistake I made as a young person. Tax cuts um, and, uh, lower, uh, and less regulation. That's thinking about the president too much as a platform, as planks on a platform policies rather than the person. Um, and what did um, Mulvaney then say about the person? Oh, he said, oh, he's, you know, he's so different now than, than he was um, uh, 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 s- several months ago. Um, uh, you know, um, he's kind of crazy now, but, but, but he, he used to be sober, and I'm going to say that's all baloney. Um, we see the same fundamental craziness and defects of character at the end of this administration. Mulvaney said that quote, Trump, here's the quote, was, quote, not the same as he was eight months ago, um, unquote. Um, John Kelly, who was a, another uh, chief of staff for uh, Trump, was confronted with those comments today uh, when he was uh, discussing the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment. And his comment about Mulvaney's comments was, he said, quote, I don't think he's changed one little bit. Of course, he's enraged because he lost an election. He's a laughing stock now, and he's striking it up. He said, what happened on Capitol Hill yesterday is a direct result of his poisoning the minds of people with the lies and the frauds. So here you have, you know, another chief of staff that sees a consistency. But I think that, uh, you know, in addition to this, there's actually something that we could have seen all along. And actually, Akil, I have to compliment you because even before you know, the election uh, in 2016, you saw some of these, these qualities. I believe you wrote an important article about it. So you're referring to a piece I wrote in Slate on a Halloween 2016, right before the election. Uh, Comey had just um, mouthed off, and I... Um, was terrified that um, Donald Trump would be elected. And Hillary Clinton had all sorts of problems. And I understand a lot of people voted for Trump because they didn't like Hillary Clinton. And I do understand it, and I get that. I also understand that many people uh, are passionately pro-life, and they would vote basically for any Republican because they just can't abide the Democratic platform on that, but remember, I've been saying we have to focus not just on platform and not just about who we see as similar to us in identity, who um, is part of our tribe, who we want to have a beer with. But we have to fundamentally f- um, focus on uh, um, a certain a person's um, uh, character and and competence um, and credentials, even um, uh, for the presidency, um, and uh, um, and. Uh, um, and, and fundamental, um, uh, and, and their core, their fundamental core. So here's what I said as I was watching the, the Trump campaign. It's not merely that he never served his country in any way, and he, and he had no um, 
track record of 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 of, of government service, um, uh, where you actually make mistakes and you work with other people and you learn the arts of 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 compromise and uh, principle. Um, uh, so he, this is what I wrote. Um, I'm just reading a, f- a few paragraphs. So remember, he comes to public attention with a big lie, birtherism, um, and saying all sorts of stuff about Muslims cheering on 9-11, just lie after lie after lie, okay? And, and he hasn't changed that, and now at the end the lie is that um, he went in the landslide, which is just not true, okay? Um, so he started with big lies, he's ending with big lies, but it's also... Um, um, and you could see all of this in 2016, that the threat to the f- core values of the republic. So here's what I wrote. And, and just so the audience knows, I'm not a screamy, yelly guy in general. I, I, uh, in, in what we've been saying before, I've had uh, words of admiration for George W. Bush. And, and, and we haven't talked about his father, but very much for, for Ronald Reagan. I'm happy to talk about all of his greatness. I've um, uh, mentioned uh, my admiration for Chief Justice uh, 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 Roberts. Um, uh, I I work very closely with a lot of people in the Federalist Society. Steve Calabrese, the co-founder, is my uh, co-teacher, and he'll come on as a guest, I'm sure, uh, in one of our uh, podcast episodes. Um, and so... Um, uh, so I'm not one who thinks that the Democrats are always right and the Republicans are always wrong, but here's what I did say about the campaign that he ran. The rule of law is imperiled by punishing people who are not guilty. The rule of law is violated when the prosecutor-in-chief, also known as the president, pronounces a person guilty by name uh, when the facts utterly fail to support this smear. The rule of law is in mortal danger when an overheated crowd roars, as it did in Phoenix, this was in 2016, lock her up. This is news not because it has not happened before, but because it is still happening and getting worse, and the journalists are missing the headline. To any sober person, the system we are at risk of falling into is a world of present Trump, flanked by the likes of Rudolph Giuliani, Chris Christie, and Newt Gingrich, smearing opponents daily with reckless charges of criminal conduct and no real facts to support these dangerous charges. Just like, by the way, today, you know, election stealing. Punishment now, facts later. Or maybe never, whatever. Lock her up. Lock everyone up who disagrees with me or stands in my way. And this is how I ended. As Ezra Klein reminded us months ago, this is an election not between left and right, but between normal and abnormal. And the press once more in this most critical hour is missing the story. Future historians will look back at all of this with incredulity. Wake up, America. So I said, you know, we're focusing on these stupid little email things and not seeing... The, the mortal threat. I thought back then, four years ago, that he had the possibility of, of being one of the worst presidents in American history. And all I can say now, four years later, is I gave him, you know, I, I was actually probably too optimistic um, that I now rank him. And I am a presidential historian, and, I've, and I, I can tell you. I can close my eyes and narrate and tell you the list of the presidents and tell you all about them, you know, detail after detail. I've studied the presidents the way 
um, a football fan would study quarterbacks or a baseball fan would know the great, you know, center fielders or, or first basemen or, or, or what have you. I rank Donald Trump alongside Andrew Johnson and James Buchanan as one of the three worst presidents in American history. Um, he came in in a, 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 um, a, a really ugly way. He's leaving in an ugly way. And what Mick Mulvaney is saying is baloney, balderdash, BS. Um, that, oh, we had no idea. Oh, we're shocked, shocked that this is, this is the fellow. His character was so different eight months ago. Baloney. And this is what I didn't understand before. As a young man, I thought I was just voting, in effect, for tax cuts and less regulation or um, tax hikes and more regulation. I thought I was voting for a platform. That's not how we should think about the presidency. It's a big mistake. And I made it as a young man. Thank you. And we'll see you next week.